Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Dear Christian friends of Sastra Trinity, since I served as a vicar back in 1983 and don't know many of you and haven't seen some of you for 35 years, let me first tell you a little bit about me, about where I came from and where I've been. After I attended college at Concordia Ann Arbor, off I went to the seminary in St. Louis, and as you probably know, a pastor's third year of schooling is spent serving a real parish in the real world, and since I was born and raised in Detroit, I had asked to come to the Midwest, to Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Michigan, and by the grace of God, the seminary sent me to you in August of 1983. And just to get your bearings, your pastor at the time was Victor Markshausen, and his wife was Evelyn. Tim Frusti was your director of youth and education. Paul Cordes was your organist and choir director. And Caroline Colby and Maya Hoffs served as your office secretaries. And if I could say I was your first single vicar, you heard that from Ed in a long time. Pastor Markshausen showed me the list. All typed out. Married, 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 single. <clears throat> This should be interesting. And as my wife Vanessa likes to point out, since the pastor's daughters were already taken, I ended up marrying the president's daughter instead. <laughs> and it was a good year to live and serve with you. We had 100 inches of snow that year, close to a record. But it melted and we survived. And here I had my first real experiences of what it means to be a pastor, to preach sermons and teach confirmation and Bible class, to attend meetings and plan worship and visit the sick and the homebound. And there's one funny story anyway. There are a lot, but one I'll share. It just so happened that while I was here, my sister was caring for infant foster children down in Texas, and they were naming the children temporarily by the letters of the alphabet, Alan and Beth and Cindy. You get the idea. Then when they came to the letter H, they named the child Herschel. So I said to Pastor Mark Sousen, Herschel, what kind of name is Herschel? Now, what I should have done before I had said anything was to check his middle initial. <laughs> sure enough, it was H, and sure enough, it was Herschel. Why? Thankfully, I didn't fail my vicarage right then and there. And as you probably realized by now, the year I was with you, you celebrated your 40th anniversary. And in honor of that anniversary, I wrote that song, Countless as the Sand. The words are okay. Sorry about the tune. And where have I been since 1984? I first served as an assistant pastor in Algonquin, Illinois, then went on to serve the people of Brownsville, Texas, Ladysmith, Wisconsin, and now Spooner, Wisconsin, where I've been for the last 15 years. And joining me for this journey has been Vanessa and five children, Rachel, Paul, Jonathan, Hannah, and Joshua, and so far nine grandchildren with one more on the way. Oh boy. <clears throat> And since I've lived and worked among you, I've preached more than 2,000 sermons, married 100 husbands and wives, baptized 200 children, and confirmed almost as many youth. And I've been privileged to share the hope and the promise of resurrection to countless family and friends. And it all started here at Sasha Trinity. 
when Ed Lundgren first contacted me and invited me to come for your 75th anniversary, he mentioned that your theme this year is based on the words of Psalm 100, verse 5. It goes like this. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Not only is that a good verse, it's a good psalm. In fact, one author, Eric Zenger, called Psalm 100 the most spectacular statement of theology in the Old Testament. That says quite a lot. And in the early 1800s, a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon wrote, nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than the singing of this noble psalm by a vast congregation. It is all ablaze with grateful adoration. And so far, composers have written as many as 200 songs, like all people that on earth do dwell, now thank we all our God, and even shout to the Lord all the earth, all because of this psalm. And while many of the psalms talk about Thanksgiving, this is the only one out of the 150 that says at its very beginning, a psalm for giving thanks. It's as if the writer was trying to say, if you want to know how to give thanks to God, then sing this song. And it all starts with this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Imagine you're a Jew who lives in the ancient Near East and the time has come for an annual feast. So you make your pilgrimage from wherever you live all the way to the holy city of Jerusalem. Your destination is the temple. Your purpose is worship. And your motivation is to give thanks to God for all that he has done. And after a long, hard journey with your family and your animal of sacrifice, you approach the gates of the city. And what do you hear? You hear the words of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I like that. Make a joyful noise. It doesn't say sing a beautiful song, although God certainly deserves our absolute best. It says make a joyful noise. The original word the psalmist used here is a word that means to raise a shout and give a blast. It's a war cry, a battle cry, like a soldier who's won a victory on the battlefield or a football player who's just scored a touchdown. It's a shout of joy and triumph. What does it mean? It means worship is not like sitting in a doctor's office. This isn't a funeral, and I know you're not stuck in traffic. When you come for worship, you should come with joyful shouts of praise. To put it another way, sometimes we need to turn the volume knob up to 12. And to whom should we make that joyful noise? To the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who made light out of darkness, who spoke worlds into being and cast stars across the sky. Here in worship, we have the privilege to stand before the almighty ruler of heaven and earth, the weak before the omnipotent, the sinful before the holy, the finite before the infinite. And who should make a joyful noise? Not just the angels, not the choir, not just the praise team, and not the saints who stand in glory. The psalmist wrote, all the earth. And why should we make that joyful noise? Verse 3, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In your anniversary verse, verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And think for a moment 
of all that he's done. He's brought you and he's nurtured you to this day. He's given you air to breathe, food to eat, and water to drink. As Paul once preached in the city of Athens, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Even more was he who was born a child of Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. As a man, he changed water into wine, taught thousands like no one had ever taught before, then fed them with fish and bread till they went away full. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and calmed storms on the sea. Then when men hated him, spit on him, scourged him, and crucified him. He forgave them. When he died, a soldier pierced his side. But on the third day, Easter day, he rose again. And as the angels once said, someday he'll come back to judge the living and the dead. No wonder the psalmist wrote, make a joyful noise, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And think of what you've accomplished together as a congregation. 75 years ago, in December of 1943, 12 communicants and 17 souls first met in the Birchwood Village Hall, imploring God's blessing. And since then, you've touched the lives of literally thousands with the good news of Jesus. For these past 75 years, you've traced the fingerprints of God. The Lord is good, wrote the psalmist. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And as Luther wrote in his small catechism, for all this it is my duty to thank and praise, to serve and obey him. And since I've come from your past, let me remind you of what you owe to the past, to those who for many years worked and worshipped in this very place, who sat in these very pews before you, People like Russ Colby, Rachel Jarr, Christy Cordes, Herban Lois Steinmuller, Harlan Biebichhauser, Hub Bruckner, Jane Schiraldi, Mike Sharpentier. This past March, Verona Robinson, just a few weeks ago, Wally Meyer, and even Pastor Markshausen a small part of that great cloud of witnesses that now stands in glory and cheers us on. You owe it to them to be faithful just as they were and to honor the word just as they did to be what God has called you to be. One more thing. As you probably know, Neil Armstrong, the commander of Apollo 11, was the first man to walk on the moon. What you may not know is that of the 13 men that followed, Gene Cernan on Apollo 17 was the last. He and his crewmate, Jack Schmidt, brought back more lunar samples and lived and worked on the moon for more than three days, longer than anyone else. But after they completed their mission, just before they returned to the lunar module, Cernan drove the lunar rover about a mile away, so the video camera could record the takeoff on the next day. And as he wrote in his autobiography, The Last Man on the Moon, he dropped down onto one knee on the moon's surface and scratched his daughter's initials in the dust. T.D.C. Tracy Don Cernan, initials that are here to this day. He said, Years later, someone in the distant future will find those initials and say, I wonder who was here. Some ancient civilization was here back in the 20th century, and look at the funny marks they made. 
Then as he crawled up that ladder for one last time, since he knew he wasn't going to come that way again, he said, I just wanted to stop time. I wanted to freeze time. I wanted to take advantage of this moment. There are many moments in our lives when we too wish we could stop time and freeze time. In a way, this is one of them. But there's work to do and people to reach. Each generation contributes a chapter, and the chapters together make up a book that tell of the mighty works of God. And though our methods may often differ from age to age, the gospel will always be the same. In the words of pastor and hymn writer Paul Stradek, now all the vault of heaven resounds in praise of love that still abounds. Christ has triumphed, he is living. Sing choirs of angels loud and clear. Repeat their song of glory here. Christ has triumphed, Christ has triumphed. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Please pray with me. We thank you, dear Father, for the many years and the many ways you have blessed us, for the grace you've given and the love you've shown. Do in our day what you did in the past, encouraging, strengthening, and lifting us up, that we may know your mighty hand is working among us. For you are God, and you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness to all generations. For Jesus' sake, amen.